And uh, Kelton, come on up. I don't need to introduce you. this the clicker that works cool all right uh so before we start i'm gonna ask somebody to pray uh mr scott brown would you open us up in a word of prayer please So uh, today we're talking about faith. Uh, the four topics of Advent, I don't know what exactly they're called. I just call them topics. But uh, it's, the, it's the next topic of Advent. And uh, faith is often this nebulous concept to us. It's this kind of hard-to-grasp concept. We think it's this kind of blind reaching in the dark or uh, this holy hoping for the best. And uh, I want to clarify that's what faith isn't. Um, so, a definite is faith is believing God is who he says he is, he uh, will do what he says he will do, and that you allow your knowledge of that, your belief in that, your confidence in that, to shape your actions, which will lead into good deeds. Whoops, I'm sorry. Sorry for those hard of hearing. I'm not going to repeat all that because I'll, I'll repeat it again later. <laughs> um, I think I was adjusting the mic and accidentally turned it off. So as we learned in James, true faith uh, leads into good deeds. Faith is the root from which your good deeds sprout. And like I said, it's such a hard to grasp topic. And well, that's the, the true definite definition of faith. So we're going to go in Hebrews 11 if anybody wants to turn their Bibles. Uh, to Hebrews 11, and I'll have, oh, well, uh, sorry, I'm out of order. <laughs> I'll get into the rhythm. So today we're going to talk about questions about faith. Uh, what is faith? What purpose does it serve? How do I get faith? And then who does God say he is, and what does he say he will do? Because it's hard to have faith if you don't know who God is, and it's hard to have faith in God if you don't know what he says he's going to do. So now Hebrews 11, um, sorry, it's a lot of scripture up there and I tried to make it as big as I could to fit on the slide while still looking presentable. But um, if y'all could stand and read with me Hebrews 11.1, 1. I made it bold if y'all can, so y'all can see it better. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Thank you, you may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. So, the question of what is faith, the author of Hebrews says it right there. It's the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. And uh, that is still this kind of hard to grasp topic for a lot of us. And But basically, the definition is God, believing God in who he is, who he says he is, 
and believing what he says, he, believing he will do what he says he will do, and then allow that knowledge, that trust, that confidence to shape your actions. So I'm going to, get, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 of Hebrews 11, and then we'll get even deeper. <clears throat> now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who, co who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So, first off, we see in verse 6, we're talking, so we've already answered what is faith. So now we're uh, looking into what purpose does faith serve back in this question, or I guess, yeah. So what does faith do? And uh, faith allows us to please God, because if we don't believe in God, how can you please him? How can you please this being if you don't act upon the knowledge of your belief in him? So basically, our faith causes us to act differently. It causes us to change our actions, to change our, change our lives, because the very knowledge that God exists. And if you don't have that knowledge, if you don't have that belief, then you can't please God, because it's not, you're, you don't act in a way that would glorify him. And that doesn't, that doesn't please him. You don't want to, you don't have a desire to obey his commandments or do what he says. <clears throat> so... That's the first thing that faith is, the first role that faith serves. Second, we see in verse 4, By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So verse 4 talks about faith being able to allow us to stand righteous. So first off, um, Romans 10.9 states, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So because of this, we know that our faith in Christ allows us to obtain salvation because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. He conquered sin for us. So faith in that allows us to stand righteously before God because the righteousness of Christ is imbued upon us. We now stand as Christ can stand in front of God because of his sacrifice. He took our place on that cross, and therefore when we go to heaven and, we, and God's saying, well, why should I let you in? He doesn't see us if we have faith in Christ. He sees Christ's righteousness. So that's what uh, faith does in Christ. But also, there's a different kind of righteousness, and that's just this kind of worldly righteousness that's kind of seen by men. And that's what it's talking about in verse, in verse 4 about Abel bringing a better offering than Cain did. He was commended as righteous. And we see that 
<clears throat> that Abel was more righteous than Cain uh, before Cain even killed Abel because of the, of the sacrifice he brought that was pleasing to God. He was a righteous man because of his faith. And later on we can see this uh, throughout the chapters, or yeah, we see this in other parts of the chapter as well with Abraham. And so uh, then thirdly, we know that our good deeds are rooted in faith. And I kind of mentioned this earlier, but I'll give some examples from the, from the chapter. Uh, I read through the chapter on Wednesday night, and Pastor Faber said that was a little too much. So I'm going to kind of give a quick summary of it, I guess. So, uh, so our, our good deeds are rooted in faith, and here's some examples that are given in Hebrews 11. Abraham left home. He offered Isaac as a sacrifice, and he offered Isaac believing that God could raise him from the dead because God promised Abraham that Isaac would be uh, his descendant, and through Isaac, uh, Abraham would be a father of many nations, of many peoples, and his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Abraham was then commanded by God to sacrifice his son. And that's a crazy thing to think about. And there's all kind of theological concepts there. But God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, but he wanted to test Abraham and test his faith. And before Abraham struck his son down, uh, God told him to stop. He stopped Abraham's hand, and he uh, revealed to Abraham that a ram was caught in the bushes and took Isaac's place. But... Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac because he believed God could raise his son from the dead and still work through his son. And so then Abraham's wife, Sarah, was was, uh, faithful because she considered God to, uh, to stick true to his word, that God would stay faithful to his word. Then Isaac, he blessed Jacob and Esau in regards to their future. Then Jacob blessed Joseph's sons, and he worshiped on the top of his staff. Joseph then spoke about the exodus and the burial of his bones. Moses' parents hid Moses for three months because they knew he was special and they did not fear Pharaoh's dreadful decree. Then Moses forsook his royal position and he chose to be mistreated with his people as slaves over sinful pleasures, uh, over the sinful pleasures of the palace of Pharaoh. And he kept the first Passover as well by commanding the Israelites to spread the blood of the lamb over their doorposts so the death angel would pass by, pass over. And then the Israelites, they passed through the Red Sea and they marched uh, around Jericho. And think, that's, that's such a small sentence, but these acts, walking through this sea that God opened up for you, that's a great act of faith because you're walking through that and at any point, those walls of water could come crashing down on you and your nation and you would just be wiped out. And that's what happened to the Egyptians. But the Israelites took every single step and walked through faith through the Red Sea. And around Jericho, they marched it for seven days and blew trumpets and didn't lay siege upon the city. They just marched around it. And God said, and that's what God commanded them to do. And he tore down the walls uh, when they gave out their last final mighty cry. <clears throat> And then Rahab, who was a prostitute, she welcomed and protected the spies, the Israelite spies that came into her land. Because she, uh, it's not really mentioned in the text, but you can assume that she knew who the Israelite God is. Because they crossed through the Red Sea. Word spreads when a whole nation walks through a sea. So 
she had heard about the Israelite God and she had faith in God. And because of that, she allowed the Israelites safe uh, protection in her home and safe transport out of the city. And she was considered righteous despite being a prostitute. And then that kind of concludes the, the uh, summary of the, those verses. But belief in a good, loving, gracious, and merciful God will motivate you and me to reflect him and, what, and do what he commands. So I'm going to give kind of a personal account of uh, faith in my life and kind of what that looks like so we can have a better idea. <clears throat> so back when I was in AM, which was, what, four years now, uh, this was actually not the story I told on Wednesday, but it leads into it. So it was my second semester at AM. Uh, my grades were bad. I was heartbroken because some girl started dating my friend, and I liked her for, yeah, I liked her for like two years, but she started dating my friend, and I was absolutely heartbroken. Um, I felt lost, and I felt lacking direction because in high school, I was the smart kid that never had to study or work. I didn't do my assignments, but I did so good on the tests that I made all A's. And, uh, and my dad had moved out of the house. So all these things were this pressure on me that was just kind of this boiling point of, I have no idea what, where my life is going. I thought I was you know, gonna breeze through college like I did high school and that I could just have a successful life because life's easy. And this was probably the first point in which Life as a whole, I realized, was not easy. There's been hard things I'd had to do in my life beforehand, but this is where I realized kind of where the rubber hits the road, and I was like, man, this thing's hard. And I was at First Baptist during a Sunday lesson. I think it was actually Valentine's Day, but they had a youth event called D-Now, and I was 19, so I was not um, a part of the youth event, but their last session, their last sermon of the youth event, of the Disciple Now, D-Now, they, uh, <clears throat> the guest speaker preaches on Sunday. And so he was speaking, and he said something like, at 18, he became ordained, or he was preaching at 18. And up to this moment, I had never considered working in a church. I'd never considered serving any kind of ministry. I, I understood that it was a high calling, and I understood that it was a great calling. But I never really put thought into it, and I just was like, that's not for me. And for the first time in my life, I thought, well, what's keeping me from doing that? And then later, it was a, an emotional worship service. Um, my friend was in the band for uh, D-Now, and actually the guy that the girl was dating was in the, playing the drums. But anyways, <laughs> it was goofy. But anyways, uh, songs like Good, Good Father came on, which especially were emotional to me back then. Um, but I want to clarify, this is not an emotional moment. It was just, I was, I, I mean, I was bawling in church <laughs> during this worship service. It was emotional, but the decision I made was not emotional. During worship service, this thought slash voice entered my head that was not my own. And in, these are the words that were said. It was, Kelton, I want you in ministry. That was all that was said. There was no clarification. Nothing other than that. It was just, Kelton, I want you in ministry. Didn't say what kind of ministry. Didn't say how. And I believed it was God. And until this day, I still believe it's God. And so at that moment, I was just like, oh, okay, this is wild. And 
So after the church service, I went directly to the pastor's office and said, hey, I need to talk to you. And that's Pastor Clyde. And I explained what happened. And he said, good, we've been praying about this for you for a while. And apparently me and some other people, they were praying about uh, entering into ministry. And so once I talked with him, he just said, he just directed me to the youth pastor at the time, whose name is Joe Lane. And he said, go talk with Joe. They need some help in the youth ministry. And then I went there, and I faithfully worked there for almost a year. But my first few weeks, I don't know, some people in here know uh, Dalton. Uh, he was actually the youth leader. He was a youth leader there, and that's who uh, Joe paired me with. And some of my first words to Dalton were, I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never led a small group before. I, I just know scripture. I, and, I mean, still, back then I don't know it as much as I do now, and still I don't know as much as Pastor Faber, but... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and then he says a lot of people know more than him. There, there's always a bigger fish. But anyways, I, uh, I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. And for the first few weeks, I had no idea what I was doing. And so I just kind of listened and chimed in whenever I could. But uh, I was just a duck out of water. I had no idea what to do. And this is what God called me to do. So I just walked in there through faith because I know God would take I knew God would take care of me. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea where I was going. But God said, Kelton, do this, and that was enough for me to go. And so then after that, uh, other things happened there. For example, uh, I was leading a small group of like 10 to 15 junior high boys, and the guy that was leading with me left to go to the high school and so then I was stuck with these junior high boys to teach by myself <laughs> and that's that's hard I don't care how experienced you are that's it's hard to keep a group of junior high boys entertained and paying attention for 30 minutes it turned into Wrestlemania for <laughs> every every night um but also notably this is probably my pride talking but some of those junior high boys are also some still attending that church today <laughs> but uh, anyways, then in my third semester at AM, which was, so the first one was in the spring, this one's in the fall, or the first part, the second semester that I talked about earlier was in the spring, this one's in the fall. Later on that fall, my grades weren't any better, I tried to transfer out of my program twice, they denied me, and, which looking back, it's clearly God was working the situation and he didn't want me there, despite me wanting to be a geologist and make big bucks. Um, clearly, God didn't want me to do that, and uh, or at least at that time. But I received a call from a friend who said, hey, I just talked with this guy, and he is looking for a youth pastor. Um, expect a call from him. And I don't ever remember talking to this friend saying that I felt called to ministry or, that, or anything about that testimony, and he must have heard through another friend. But later on, I had a call from Pastor Faber, said, hey, we're looking for a youth pastor. And throughout several conversations, uh, it became clear that I still had no idea what I was doing. I was scared to death because I thought, well, <clears throat> I can't lead this junior high group. How in the world can I lead the group that's on the back row right there? And I still kind of question that to this day. But, uh, <laughs> but I was scared to death because I had no idea what I was doing. I was going to be kind of like little fish in a big pond 
even though Union Grove is not really a big pond, but that's kind of how I felt like I was getting into it. And, but he asked me, well, do you feel called? And I said, yes. And I do want to specify, it wasn't the same calling that I felt going into ministry, where I, where I believe God spoke to me, said, I want you in ministry. No, I believe this was a different kind, where every single door in my life was closed, but this one was thrown wide open. And I saw God working in this situation, and I believed that he was calling me to go here. And I, and I actually, now I believe even more firmly that I'm called here than back then. I'm still confident that this is where I need to be, and uh, this, is where I, this is the church in which I need to work. So in this situation, I was not prepared. I was not trained. Um, I had just been some kid that read the Bible in high school and knew a lot of the answers, knew a lot of the Sunday school answers. But God called me to serve in ministry. And my knowledge of him, my belief in him, my confidence in who he is and who he says he will be, is what led me here because I faithfully followed him. And I'm not trying to sound like I'm this great leader of faith or whatever, because I'm not. These are just two examples in my life where I have been faithful. There's a whole lot of other examples where I haven't been. But this is a, a tangible example that we can see that this is what faith looks like. I had no idea where I was going. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, and there were many times in the first year of serving here that, the, uh, <clears throat> the youth group would be empty on a Sunday morning. And, but I still believe that that is where God wanted me to be. And so faith is sometimes this walking in the dark, not knowing where you're going. But that's where God says, my word is a lamp unto your feet. So that's what we can see. God's commandments, his word, is this lamp unto our feet to light up our path before us to show where we're going. That's what faith is, is to walk believing in God's word. So, as a reminder of the purpose of faith, it allows us to please God. It's the means by which we obtain righteousness and receive salvation. And faith is the root from which our good deeds sprout from. Now I'm going to read the rest of the chapter. Verses 32. Oh, I missed that. I, I talked about it, but I missed the slide. So, I'm going to read the rest of the chapter, verse 32 through 40. I thought I put it on the screen, but I didn't. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. I, I believe that's such a powerful uh, section of scripture because it's a summary of these uh, individuals 
that their stories are given in the Old Testament. Uh, earlier this year, uh, I, I preached about judges, and uh, some of us might remember Gideon, Barak, and Samson. And I was going to preach on Jephthah, but his story is kind of weird, so <laughs> we ended up not preaching about it. But these men were not righteous, as we saw in the case of Rahab. They were not these good men. Samson had all kind of problems that we could go into for, <laughs> for a while. But these men, Gideon was a big chicken. Uh, so was Barak, or Barak, I don't know how to pronounce his name. And then Jephthah uh, may or may not have sacrificed his daughter. These stories, these men did things that were not okay. <laughs> and David, who is an adulterer and a murderer, and Samuel's actually okay. He's, he's actually pretty good. But uh, the point is, these men were not perfect, but they were considered righteous because of their faith in God. And then this powerful passage on what they had done and then what they had endured. Uh, talking about the, the torturing and the jeers and the flogging and the chains and the imprisonment. The believers endured this, and some still to this day, because of their great faith in the Lord. So we see that the believers before us had great faith, they endured great hardship, and they performed mighty achievements, and they obeyed God. They were not perfect, but their faith was enough for God to use them. So, oh wait, okay, sorry. There. I skipped ahead on myself. I actually did not go over that. So my response to that is that may all be well and good, but how do I receive faith? Because we can talk about faith all day long. We can talk about people having great faith in Scripture all day long, and we can see their great works, and we can say, man, they really did have faith. But when it gets down to it, what gets you through the hard times of life? What gets you through the persecution or through the troubling times or the storms of life? How do you get faith? How do I get faith? And this is a really simple answer. Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So if you want to gain faith, read scripture. There's a sermon quote that I'll paraphrase a part of it, but <clears throat> the guy says, If you want to, know, to believe in God more, that's faith. If you want to have more faith, you have to draw closer to the object of your faith, and that's God. You have to draw closer to God to increase your faith. And then he says, as you allow Christ to, as you allow your belief in Christ to conform to reality, then your faith will increase. That means if you allow yourself to see how big God is, how big Christ is, how much work the Holy Spirit does, if you see how great they are, how great God is, then your faith will increase. And if you believe that, your faith will increase. That's how we get faith. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So they had faith because they had heard about God. They had seen God working. And some of them even had God speak to them directly through an angel or other means. And they saw what he had done in the history of their lives. We see several times in the Old Testament when God commands the Israelites to not let their descendants forget about what he had done and to pass, up, pass down things like the Exodus and the passing through the Red Sea and many other miracles that he'd done. 
And so when your culture is passing those on like they should, that's what generates faith for them. That was their scripture. And so when they, because of that, they believed. And also we see in Samuel, he sets up this thing called an Ebenezer. That means stone of help. And what that is, is he set this up when God helped him at one point, so that he, whenever he passed by that stone, he said, you know what, I set that there because God helped me. In this situation, God did this. And that's what we need to do in our lives. Anytime God helps you, anytime God works in your life, you need to set something up in your mind, write it down, whatever you need, so you'll remember it. So you can say, look, God did this mighty work, and I can remember that by looking at this thing. If you have to tie a string around your finger, go ahead and do that. (laughs) But God says we need to do that so we can increase our faith in him. So let's, uh, let's look into what motivated them because we talk about God's deeds, but we need to see who he is so we can understand his deeds better, and then we can see what he's promised. So this is what generates faith. That's, what does God say he is? That's really hard to see. I'm sorry. It looked better on my laptop. But uh, so first off, God is good. And I'm going to provide scripture for all of these. There's many other verses that you can go into. So please don't yell at me if I missed a verse because there's, there's more aspects of God. I mean, he's an infinite being. So we can, I, I'm, I'm sure, certain I missed something. But anyways, God is good. Nahum 1.7 says the Lord is good. He is a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Then God's holiness has no equal. Samuel, 1 Samuel 2.2 says there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Then, oh, I don't have the verse written down for this. But God is morally perfect and righteous. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did, so, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I apologize, I can't remember which. Uh, that's Romans, I believe. Then God is just, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you Therefore, he will rise up to you and show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. That's Isaiah 30, 18. And then uh, God is loving and God is love. That's 1 John 4, 8. And God is compassionate. The verse for that is Psalm 86, 15. God is gracious, John 3, 16. God is kind, Ephesians 2, 7. God is merciful, Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. God is faithful, 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is truthful, 1 John 5.20. God is slow to anger, Exodus 34.6. So allow yourself, if, if you want to, I can provide those verses for you so you can read them. Um, oh, I might have, let's see. Yeah, no, I, I read it. So if you, if you need to increase your faith, I can provide these for you so you can read through all the scripture. And then, now let's look into God's promises. So, first off, that's the God we serve. All those aspects of him, he's loving, he's compassionate, he's gracious, he's kind, he's merciful, he's just, he's truthful, he's slow to anger, he's good, 
He's righteous and morally perfect, and his holiness has no equal. So this God also promises us things. There's, again, there's many promises of God. There's many covenants. There's many miracles that he's done. All these things increase our faith, but his promises are things that we can cling to in times of trouble and in the storms of our life, things that we can believe and understand that it's going to be okay and that he will uh, take care of us. So that is some four simple ones are he will not forsake you. Verse for that is Deuteronomy 31.8. He loves you and works things out for your good, Romans 8.28. He saves you and redeems you, Colossians 1.13. And he will provide for you as you do your part, Matthew 6.26. And real quick on the Matthew 6.26 verse, uh, it's talking about anxiety and stress. And Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Does God not provide for them? How much more so will he do for you? And one thing on that is, because it says, as you do your part, birds don't just sit on power lines looking up at the sky with their mouths open. And God doesn't just drop worms in their mouths. Birds work, you know. They build their nests. They seek out food. They go and labor. That's what we're supposed to do as well. But God will provide for you. He will provide fruit for your labor. And there's many, many more promises. You can go and study them for an entire lifetime and even more. People have done it. (laughs) And maybe that's what we should do to get through this life. But I I don't have enough time to go through them all. But uh, I do encourage you to reflect upon verses 32 and 40 of Hebrews 11 again. And if you have time this week, if you don't know what to study, and if you want to learn more about faith, you can go through Hebrews 11 and look at the people that are mentioned and search where they're found in scripture and read their stories and understand where they're coming from and why they're called righteous and why they're said why it said they have faith there's there's a lot of study in there but if you want something to read that's there for you so see god never provides an easy or he never promises sorry promises provides is a different word he never promises us an easy life but he does promise eternal life and he promises a good life And so as we come to a close, I want to remind all of us with the first three verses of Hebrews 12, because I think it's a great capstone to Hebrews 11. So Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that last verse, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's faith. Look upon Christ on the cross, and consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I want, everyone, I want everyone to be reminded that faith is this fuel that we run on. If you don't have faith, you're, you're running on empty. You're not doing any good works. You're a dead Christian. And so I ask you, do you have faith? Do you feel like you've been running on empty? And if so, if you don't have faith or if you feel tired and distressed and you don't feel like you don't know where to turn, then turn to God. Turn to his word and let him stir in your heart. 
let him stir up some faith so that you can get through this life. So let's close in prayer. Oh, I want to remind everybody one more time. (laughs) Faith is believing God is who he says he is and believing he will do what he says he will do. And then let that knowledge change your heart and your actions to where your good deeds flow from that. Not just sprout, but flow. So let's close in prayer. And then I guess, is is it communion day? Sorry. <laughs> so, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son dying on the cross for our sins. Please increase our faith so that we can please you. We can stand before you, righteous God. Please let us be faithful to you. Let us faithfully see who you are and understand how great you are, God. And please let that shape our actions in our hearts. And please help us go out into the world, be shining lights before men to Show them your great love and your great glory. And God, please just be with us in the storms. Be with those of us that have little faith. God, uh, sometimes recently I have little faith. And please, God, strengthen that. Strengthen all of us as a congregation and as people. Thank you, God, for Pastor Faber and the work that he does here. And please just help us grow together as a congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Kelton. You know, it's good to remember that faith is, it's believing that God is who he says he is. And if you don't know who he says he is, what the essence of God is, that means what his being is, if you'll open your bulletins and look, in that bulletin, there's 10 things, it's an essence box that I put in there. I knew that Kelton was going to talk about this, and so I, I put some, sketched some notes in here. That is who he is, Travis. That is who he is, and then what he says he'll do, you learn what he says he'll do in the Word. Now, we're in a strange time. We have, I never dreamed I would be living to see people with masks on in a church, uh, strangeness happening and, you know, upheaval in our political system and all of this sort of thing, and it can be very daunting. And this is when the times when we have faith, to believe God is who he says he is. I don't know what we're going to go through, but I know that he will be with us when we go through it. That is all we need to know. And uh, Kelton kind of read it but didn't focus on it. I'm going to ask you all to see if, if you learned anything from this lesson. How do we know that Noah had faith? Because Noah built an ark. Ken said in the back because he did what God told him to do. The way we know we have faith is if you're doing what God tells you to do. If you're going to go do it. So if you don't know, he said, well, God, you haven't spoken to me like you did to Kelton. Well, Jesus said, what? He said, when the, when the wonderful lawyer came to him and said, what's the greatest commandments? He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. That's where you start. And then you say, well, I don't know what God's will for my life. He has shown you, oh man, woman, what is good. What does God require of you, Micah? 6 8 says, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So if you say, I don't know where to start, start with Micah 6 8 this week, write it down, look it up. Start with the greatest commandment. Say, God, show me how to love others as I love myself. Amen? So what we're doing is we're doing the remembrance. Go ahead.